I think I'm going to do something that I'm not very accustomed to doing and kind of go off my script a little bit. Um, you know, God is is God and He's in control. And so, you know, this morning I know what I'm preaching about. I'll tell everybody now. Uh, we just sang a song and I'm preaching about trusting God. And so, you know, I, I was all ready for this morning and um, well, I just keep getting messages from people who can't make it to church. And I'm not kidding. I got several text messages this morning, even as I was here, about people who weren't coming to church. And I'm preaching on trusting God. And let me tell you, I'm a pastor. There's flesh in me. And sometimes it's hard to push through when you... When you know people, I mean, they're they're good intentions and letting you know. I'm glad I know when people aren't coming, but sometimes that flesh part of you starts to wrestle with that moment and says, okay, what's going to happen today? I mean, you know, I know 30 people that aren't coming. And anyway, so what's happened in in worship and what God's done in me is I really feel like um, he wants to preach a message that, that, that he needs us to hear. And I've got notes that I'll get into some, but... um. I think he's taken me away from my notes to speak his word this morning. It's funny, the, the, the missionary last week, when he was in our service, um, he was talking about the first sermon he preached and how he was listening to that first sermon. And I remember I was a junior in high school, uh, First Assembly of God in Alexandria, Kentucky. Um, Sunday night church, they let the youth, the youth preach at because those were all the mature people. So if they said something crazy, they could handle it. You know what I'm saying? Like, they weren't going to be led astray. Sunday morning, we ain't letting the kids preach, but, but Sunday night, we can do that because that's only the few that are really rooted in church that are going to come there. And so I was able to preach at that church service, and my first sermon I ever preached was called Trust God. And there's something about those words. There's something about that reality. You know, we as a church, we've been on this, this journey, this understanding of authentic faith, genuine faith. What does it mean? And we've talked about, you know, remembering what God has done, but not getting stuck at what God has done. We've talked about, you know, uh, the reality of sin and, and, and that genuine religion, Jesus says, is loving God and loving people. But I think that, that, that genuine faith is revealed through authentic trust. I think that at times our, our faith is demonstrated by the way we trust God. We just sang a song. Uh, that's Matthew chapter 14 is where that story is that, 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 that is the basis for the song that we were just reading. Irene, this is not in there. Matthew chapter 14, and, and most of us this is familiar, but I'm just going to read a little bit of this chapter. Verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because of the wind against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Verse 28, I want to talk about trusting God. Verse 28 says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, 
and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Can you imagine this moment with the disciples? Can you imagine they're all on the boat, the wind buffeted, waves, whatever that means, and, and, and all of a sudden they see that what they think is a ghost coming. Jesus says, it's me. Peter says, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come. And then Jesus says, come. And then Peter says, no. Like, think about that. I mean, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. Jesus says, come. You want me to do what? The waves, the wind, all this stuff that we just sang about, buffeting, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, come. And Peter's response in that moment is, are you sure? Got to get my water shoes on. I need to get my swimmies. I don't know that that would have made it in the book. But what made it was someone who had authentic faith, genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And so when, when Christ said, come, what was his action? What was the result? The result was insanity. The result was something that was impossible. The result was something that didn't make sense. Peter said, you're walking on the water? Well, I'll do it too. And he got out and he walked on the water. I got to guess that was a pretty good sermon preached that day. Yeah, I know that story goes on and Peter looks away and he starts looking at the waves and sinking and all that stuff. But, but what, I'm, what, what I'm thinking about is that moment where Peter stepped. Everyone who witnessed that moment had to be changed. I mean, seriously. Everybody else who was on that boat experiencing the same moment when they encountered this, this incredible trust in God, their understanding of Jesus Christ had to be changed. When we trust God with who we are, I believe it not only affects us, but it, but it affects those who are around us. The message that, that, I, that, that, that I want to preach today is, is that by trusting God, by living in trust for God, it will not only influence yourself, but it will impact those that are around you. When you're living in faith, when you're living with trust, other people will see. How can I say that? In men's Bible study, 6 o'clock in the morning, there's some of us who come up here to church, and we as men have been reading the book of Psalms. I mean, a real manly book for us to read together. And so if you know the Psalms, are, they're, they're songs, they're worship songs, a lot of times of David. But, but we've been reading these books together, and, and there's been a characteristic of David that, that has stood out to us. You know, I, I think a lot of times people tell us it's okay to yell at God because David did. Have you ever been told that in your life? I think I've said that before. It's okay to yell at God because David did. I mean, we see the candidness of David in, in the Psalms, and, and he cries out to God a lot, and, and he calls out to him. And, 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 and the interesting thing in men's Bible study that we're recognizing is he doesn't stop with calling out, but he comes back to the truth in every psalm. 
So he might cry out about how terrible it is, but he comes back to the reality of who God is at the end of the psalm. At least that's where we're at so far. And, and so, but, but when we're reading that book in Psalms, I, I have uh, the Internet's great, Google's wonderful, just something that tells me about what season of David's life the psalms are written in. David's life, I mean, just so you know David's life, uh, a little bit about it. He was um, anointed by Samuel as a young boy to be the king, whatever that meant. And he started to serve King Saul. And, and he, he served King Saul, and, and he actually got the role of armor bearer, which was basically like King Saul's right-hand man. You know, all these things. Remember the Goliath, the giant that came out? David went out and took his little sling and three stones. We preach that sermon all the time. That was David who did that. And he rose to the place that, that, that the king was dependent on him. So that Saul was kind of losing his mind in Scripture and, and, and David could play the, the, the harp. And so David would play his, his harp and he was the only way the king could be, could be calmed. And so because of his relationship with Saul, then David began to rise to prominence in the kingdom. I mean, he had, he had armies at his command and he had influence and he had authority. And then guess what happened? In Saul's life, he started hearing about this young whippersnapper that was rising up and was going to take his place. And so he got upset with David. And so the, the, the person that David left home to serve, the person who David said, I will do anything I can to serve you, got so upset with him that he literally takes a spear and throws it at David to, to try to kill him. And then he pursues him through the mountainside to try and, and, and capture David. To the point that, guess where David flees? Does anyone know? Philistine. David ends up in the place where he just killed the big monster, you know. I mean, I'm guessing David there doesn't have the greatest reputation, but that's the only way to get free of the king. And so he ends up, and he was in a cave for a while, but he ends up in Philistine, and, and, and he's there, and, and everybody there just thinks he's a nut, like he's crazy, that's where he is. So he's there for a while. Finally, Saul dies in battle. You know, he, he asks his armor bearer to kill him, and his armor bearer won't, so he kills himself. That's Saul's story. And then David becomes king, so things are great. David's now the king, and his life is wonderful. So David goes through his life, and, and things are going well. He's military battles, conquering people, and then this the whole Bathsheba thing happens. And we know about that. And, and, and then about he has some kids, and, 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 and then all of a sudden his life starts to repeat itself. This is David's life. And, and he has a son, and his name is Absalom. And Absalom's decided that it's time for him to be the king. He has a little long in the tooth. It's time for me to take over. And his son, if you read it, I think it's about Second Samuel chapter 15, he starts to, to manipulate things. And, he, and it says in that chapter that he stands at, at the gates and he takes people's concerns and he answers them before they ever get to the king. And, 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 De, and Absalom starts to manipulate things and actually begins to stage a coup uh, uh, on his dad's kingdom. To the point that Absalom now decides that in order for him to be king, guess what he's got to do? He's got to kill dad. And, and David hears about this. And, and what is David's response? I'll tell you what Steve's response is. I bent that kid over my knee when he was three years old. I bent him over my knee today. Right? I mean, I'll jerk a knot in his tail so... So Tidy won't know what to do. That's my response. What's David's response? At some point, David begins to flee his son. I want to read a psalm this morning that David wrote. And, 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 
And most scholars believe that, that this psalm was actually written in the season that David was fleeing his son. Now think about David's life. The guy that, that he loved, the guy that, that he gave up everything for to serve, has, has attempted to kill him. He made it through that storm. Now we're in a new storm. And, and now, not as it's some, some king, but it's, it's his own flesh and blood. I mean, you want to take betrayal to a place that I can't imagine. I don't know if you've been there. Maybe you've been there. Your kids tried to kill you. I, I don't know. They wanted to take the house in the car. I mean, maybe you've been there. I've never been there, but I can just imagine emotionally. I can just imagine the physical toll of that moment. The emotional toll of, of being betrayed, not just by the king who was, was one that you love, that's, that, that's happened, but now your, your very son is betraying you. And I said a lot of times, trust is something that's revealed. Psalm chapter 62, David wrote, while fleeing his son, he's trying to steal his kingdom and take his life. I don't think I want someone recording my thoughts in that moment. I don't think I want someone writing down what I'm saying. These are the words that were written down that David was saying in this moment. He said, Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. It says in verse 2, Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down into this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intended to topple me from my lofty place. They take the light and lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. It doesn't say it in this translation, but in, in most translations it has that word selah or pause and reflect. And then he comes back and he says in verse 5, Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. When I read this, it's hard for me to realize his son is trying to kill him. It's hard for me to even understand or, or recognize the reality. That's why there's some, there's a little bit of debate about when this was. Because, I mean, we're not hearing about how terrible it is. We're not hearing about his pain. We're not hearing about his struggles. We're not hearing about his problems. But what's he say? He says, truly. What's the first thing you're going to say? My soul finds rest in God. Your head's not finding rest because you don't even have your bed to sleep in. You left ten concubines at the house to take care of it while you were running from your son. 
But truly, my soul finds rest. How? How? I mean, again, I want you to picture that you're some of the ones who are fleeing with David. There's some of the faithful that are remaining with the king, and you're hearing him say these things. Truly, my soul finds rest. What are you talking about? We're sleeping on, on rocks. The kids last night, they wanted to sleep. I had an old tent. It's a little two-man hiking tent, all-season tent. And I put it up in the basement because my kids wanted to sleep in the tent. They were building tents with blankets. I said, here, I'll put this one up. And I'm going to tell you, that tent, it stinks. It's moldy. It stinks. I mean, not moldy, but, you know, they ever had a tent that's been put away for a while. It's got that, that wonderful smell. And I asked Levi this morning, I said, he and Avery slept in the tent last night. I said, how did you sleep last night? He said, terrible, Dad. That tent was the Ritz-Carlton compared to where David had been sleeping. He said, truly, my soul finds rest in God. Another translation reads, truly, my soul silently waits for God. What's your initial reaction when something's wrong? To silently wait, right? I'm telling you, that's what I do every time. Anytime there's a problem, I silently wait. I silently wait for the the person on the phone to figure out what I'm talking about. I silently wait for the store clerk to get things the way that I thought they would be. I silently wait at Sears until they figure out my washer and dryer. That's, that's me. I, Roy, you're just like me. I know. You silently wait. I can't silently wait with my washer and dryer on here. I can't. How am I going to silently wait when my son wants to kill me and take my kingdom? David says, truly. He said, there's a, there's a, I, I called it a confident trust in God. We, we see he silently right, waits. Not only does he silently wait, but he, he finds rest. That's how assured his confidence is in God in this moment. You ever been around someone where they should have been way more upset than they are and you're wondering why they're not reacting? Like your whole eye's falling down and they're just like smiling and laughing. You ever know someone whose truck, you haven't been able to drive it for a year, but every time you ask him about it, he just laughs? Just silently waits? And you wonder, what? that's a peculiar person. There's something, again, as we look at these words of David, and, and there's something in our lives that I, I want us to understand that that, that, that that waiting silently, that, that being still and knowing that I am God, the, the practice of, of, uh, of just stopping and listening or finding uh, refuge in Him, it has to influence others. There's a confidence, trust in God. Calvin says this silence, is, uh, this silence intended is, in short, that composed submission of the believer in the exercise of, in which he acquiesces in the promises of God, gives place to his word, bows in his sovereignty, and suppresses every inward, inward murmur of dissatisfaction. What does, it, what does it say? Calvin. That's John Calvin was right next. He said, basically, it's the place where we say, God, it's going to be your way, and I'm going to trust you in this moment. 
in every murmur, every bit of doubt, every bit of how is this going to work, every bit of what if he comes tomorrow morning, what if he brings mightier men, every bit of, of what happens when, when, when he begins to attack me, what happens, I mean, when, when he's standing over me with a spear, what happens to the kingdom, what happens to the things that I've done, what happens when, 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 when the people who are with me turn, or, turn their backs on me, every bit of that he brought into submission to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, every bit of those thoughts, every bit of those worries he brought in, in into the place of, of I'm not even going to let that take hold. I'll come back to that. My soul finds rest in God because my salvation comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. You know, there's a word that occurs twice in those first two verses. It's the word truly. And when I, when I hear that, I think truthfully. Like, that's what I go. The truth is, that word can be translated truly, but it's also a word of exclusivity. It's a word that can be translated as only. The only place I will find refuge. The only place I can find refuge. The only place that I can do this is in God alone. We live in a society where it's hard to come to a place of in God alone. Even in ministry, I remember when I became a, a kids pastor, and I mean, I felt like I was smart enough to do this. You know, I mean, I, I felt like I could handle it on my own. You know, in life, there's, there's a lot of ways that we can do things. We can man up and, and handle it ourselves. David had to say that in the midst of this catastrophe, in the midst of this tragedy, the only thing Firm, the only foundation that I can find is in God alone. Truly, He is my rock. He is the only thing that won't be shaken right now. He's been betrayed by friends. He's been betrayed by mentors. He's been betrayed by sons. He's been betrayed by everyone. But the only thing in this moment I can stand on is the God who I know. It's in God alone that I can trust. He is my rock and my salvation. First Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory, after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. For some reason, we struggle when we know the lion is, is roaring. We know we, we struggle when we sense that the lion is outside. But Peter is saying, stand firm. Stand on the rock. Allow your thoughts to come in line with the Word of God. Put them in the place that you know there might be an enemy that is, that is 
desiring to destroy you. Jesus said in John chapter 16, in this world you will have trouble. But he said, take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. So many times we, we allow our thoughts to take us to a place of fear and anxiety. And we can't simply trust that God is who he said he was. And everything is shaking around us. And we're not even sure where we can stand anymore. I can assure you, you have a God who says He is your rock and salvation. And so when everything, when relationships, when friendships, when life, when work, when finances, when trials and troubles come, there's one place that you can stand. There's one place that you can be and not be shaken. And that's on the foundation that is your God alone. How could Peter walk on water other than the foundation that is God alone? You know, David, he continues in this psalm. There's only two verses where he kind of gives us a clue into what's going on. These next two verses, verses 3 and 4, so many enemies against one man. All of them trying to kill me. To them, I'm just a broken down wall or a tottering fence. They plan to topple me from my high position. They delight in telling lies about me. They praise me to my face, but curse me in their hearts. Only picture of David's, what I would call humanity in this What's he saying? Many enemies against me. He's counting the situation here just just for a moment. There's so many men that are rising up against me. How does he see himself? I'm nothing but a toppling fence. Hey, hey, strong. I'm a, I'm a broken down wall. It's not going to take much to turn me over. want to shut me down. They want to knock me off the throne, my high position. But what I love is it says that word, Selah. David has said, truly, you are my God. Truly, my soul waits in you. My soul finds rest in you. Truly, You are absolutely the exclusive rock and foundation for my life. Yes, there are many enemies who desire to kill me. They desire to knock me down. They desire to laugh at me. They desire to take my kingdom from me. But I need to stop and think. Let me tell you, those thoughts come in our life. Huh? When the trial comes, when the suffering comes, We have those thoughts that say, man, here's what's going on. Man, I can't believe I'm facing this. Man, I can't believe they're doing this to me. Man, I can't believe my son is trying to kill me with his spear. We have these thoughts. But he stops and reflects. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says the weapons 
we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension, every argument that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's what I picture David is doing in this moment. Yes, I know God is my rock. Yes, I know He is my foundation. Yes, I know that He is absolutely the one where my soul will find rest. But in this moment, here's what I'm facing. In this moment, here's, here's the very physical reality around me. And I have to take captive every one of these thoughts. I have to take captive the thought of my son killing me. I have to take captive the thought of my kingdom falling. I have to take captive the thought of, of, of my, my, my confidence betraying me. Every argument that sets itself up against the will of God, in those moments, in the moments of suffering, in the moments of trial, we have to actively take captive those thoughts that are contrary to the Word of God. So often we start standing on those thoughts. We walk out. When did Peter start sinking? When he was looking at the problems. When the testosterone wore out from walking on the water, and all of a sudden he realized where he's standing. The emotion of the moment started to wear down. And now he's looking at the boat that's far away and he's out here and he sees these things that are contrary to the Word of God. He knows the nature of this world. The laws of this world say, I can't stand here right now. And if I stand here, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to go down. How do you trust God? You've got to take captive those thoughts. There's an enemy, and he's looking to devour you. He's looking to destroy you. It says he shoots fiery darts. He wants to put those doubts in your mind. He wants to put those thoughts in your mind. He wants to remind you of all the trials and troubles in this world because he wants to focus on the first half of John 16 that says, in this world you will have troubles. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a country music star. My wife left me. She took my best horse and ran off with my tractor. I mean, that's, that's what we do. We, we focus on those things. In this world, we'll have trials. Oh, man, you'll never guess my trials. Let me tell you about my life. Let me tell you about all the problems that I have. No, Jesus said, your confidence in me because what you see is not all there is who I am is not defined by what you see what I can do is not determined by the circumstance that you're facing does that not change the way we live when we take captive the thought of the reality of the waves and we start looking at the promise that God said I could walk on the water After he stops and thinks, we see what he knows. After David stops and thinks, his psalm continues. It almost sounds repetitive. But 
there's an interesting word that we see time and time again in the next few verses. Yes, he says in verse 5 of chapter 62 of Psalms, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress and I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my rock and my refuge. Who is He to you? David comes back, and I think it's nine times he uses in the next two verses this ownership. It's indicating he has understanding of who God is. Not only is it an understanding of who God is, but he's got relationship with him. How can he say, my, my, my soul, my, my hope, my rock, my salvation, my fortress, my salvation, my honor, my mighty rock, my refuge. David acknowledges all this stuff, but he has absolute assurance in his God. I'm telling you, all those my's only come through relationship. All those my's only come through knowing. And how do we know apart from a relationship? We can't. You can't declare what is yours if you don't know the one who gives it. You can't declare what you have or what He will do if you've never spent time getting to know Him who will do it for you. That's the product of authentic faith right there. You can begin to declare, yeah, my life might be falling around, but my fortress, my refuge, my well-being, my, my, my sustenance is in God alone. I'm telling you, this is where authentic faith starts revealing itself. This is where genuine understanding of God starts to become peculiar. Because everyone else is seeing the suffering. But you're focusing on the Savior. Everyone else is identifying you by the trials. But you're identifying yourself with the Maker. And then, and then, David does something incredible. These are his thoughts. But all of a sudden, his trust becomes contagious. Because not only does he talk about himself, and not only is he talking about his problems, but in in the next couple verses, verse 8, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. What happened to David's trust? It didn't just affect himself. But all of a sudden, David is ministering to others. His trust in God, he's using it to inspire and encourage others. He's talking to the same ones. Now, everyone knows that when they kill David, things are done, right? I mean, we're going to be good. Maybe not. Maybe they'll they'll die with, with the king. But everyone else... You know, no one's got quite the price on their head like David in this moment. He's wrestled with God. He knows his circumstances. He's taken captive because he has a relationship with the Father. Now I can look at you and say, hey, trust God. At all times. 
trust Him in the moments where it's hopeless. Trust Him even though there's this whole army assembled to destroy us. Trust Him. Pour out your God. Pour out your heart. Pour out everything that's in you to Him because God is our refuge. Talked about the other disciples on the boat. The influence of Peter's action in that moment, encouraging their faith. What do you think happened to these men who were with David when he's looking at them and saying, hey, here's who my God is. They've got to be transformed in that moment. They've got to be encouraged if it's just for a moment. Genuine faith. Authentic faith. The only other story I thought about, and I only thought of it because it was the sermon I preached when I was a junior in high school on that Sunday night. There were three Jewish boys who refused to, to bow down to an idol. And, and, and they put them before this furnace. And right before they were getting ready, they, were gonna get, they, were, they had a bow to an idol where they were going to die, is what the king said. And they were standing before the furnace, and their, their trust in God influenced the nation. They're standing before a king and his men, and he told his men, he was mad, he was hot. Literally, and he becomes hot figuratively in a little bit. Stoke that fire up. Get it as hot as it, get it higher than it's ever been. And he, and he looks at them boys and he says, basically, you got any last words? You got anything you want to say? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Old Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into that blazing furnace and they could see the furnace, they could feel the furnace, they could smell the furnace. We're not defined by that. If we're thrown into that blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. He will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set before us. see it. They're going to throw us in there. We all know the outcome. I know my God. My God can save me. But he looked at that king and he said, even if he doesn't, it doesn't change who my God is. Let me tell you, no matter what your circumstances, it does not change who your God is. No matter what happens in these next few years, it doesn't change the eternal God that is. And I want to live in a place where my trust, where my faith, where, where my understanding of God is so defined by Him and not defined by circumstance that it doesn't matter what comes my way. It doesn't matter how many people text me on Sunday morning and say, I'm not going to make it. I know, God, you gave me the word that you need preached. It doesn't matter if he starts downloading different stories during worship and he says, I need you to go off the script a little bit and I know how much you like that because I trust, God, that you brought those here today who needed to hear from you and it's the word that you will speak to their hearts so they can receive. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if someone's pursuing you. It doesn't matter if someone's attacking you. It doesn't matter if, if your wedding gets canceled and you've got to go somewhere else for your wedding. It doesn't matter because I've got to trust who God is. 
you guys can come forward. You say, Pastor, that sounds wonderful. How? You know, this morning I thought, how many different ways you've demonstrated trust? Right? Most of you got up this morning and you went to the wall and you flipped this little thing. Light came on. That's trust. You know, you went to the sink and you turned this little faucet and water came out. That's profound trust. You know how crazy it is to think you can turn a thing in your house and all of a sudden there's water that's coming out of a faucet so you can brush your teeth? I hope you brushed them this morning. You know, then you went outside of your vehicle and you put this little piece of metal in this little thing and you don't even know much about it, but you turned it and all of a sudden it went room. You know, we recognize trust anymore. Our vans have been having some electrical problems. You know, what causes our trust to waver is when, when the van doesn't start. And you go down and you turn the key and it doesn't. You know, when you flip a light switch and it's not going off. You know, we have more expectation out of lights than we do out of God. We have more confidence in our faucet than we do out of the one who made you out of nothing. How? And David would say, my God. My Savior. My rock. My salvation. How do I know that the light switch is going to work? Because every time it does. Every time I tread. God is absolutely God desires a relationship with you. How do we know that? He sent His Son. He sent His very best so that we might have relationship. God wants to show Himself faithful in your life. Not just when the enemies are surrounding you, but in the moments of every day. Not just when you're... I said trust. It's kind of funny. We only wrestle with it when we're in the deepest valley. Right? Right? The only time we really think about trust is when things aren't working. When the van's not starting, we're not trying to figure it out. I want to know him so well that I know that he is faithful. I want to know him so well that that my circumstances don't define him in my life. I, I want to know his love so intimately so that no matter what happens, I know who he is. No matter what storm comes, I know how great he is. No matter how deep I sink, in the water, I know that the God who called me will carry me through. Because I trust Him. Father, I come to You this morning. You know, God, we've been talking about authentic faith. What it looks like to be a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. God, I think that's often demonstrated by the measure of trust we show in you. God, I pray that you would give us understanding. God, there might be someone in this room that says, I I don't even know what it feels like to be loved anymore. God, I pray for them in this moment that you would show love.
And when it says, every time I try, it just, it just seems like He's not there. God, I pray that in this moment, that whatever obstacle is in the way, whether it's, it's sin, whether it's self-doubt, whether it's the things that we've done to ourselves, God, I pray that You would make a way that through Jesus Christ, Jesus said that He is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father but through Him. God, I pray that in this moment that we would experience the fullness of who You are. God, I pray that my trust would be influential. That my trust, God, it would not just impact myself, but it would impact others because of my knowledge of You. So in this moment, God, I cast down every imagination. I tear down, God, every stronghold. I I take captive every argument that sets itself up against the knowledge of of God. In this moment, God, I pray that those arguments would be put to rest. God, I pray that those, those, those darts would be silenced. In this moment, God, I pray that the, the reality that you love us would be made known. God, I pray that the promise that you would do anything so that you could be with us would be experienced. God, I pray that the, the reality of the Word made flesh and make His dwelling among us, God, would be experienced in Him in us, that we could say, my God, my fortress, my Savior, my hope, my refuge. As Walton Carey lead us in a chorus this morning, I encourage you to, to cry out to your God. If you say, Pastor, I cannot identify with mine. I want an opportunity to pray with you so God can make Himself real for you in this moment. If you have other needs in your life, maybe you say you're like Peter or you're like David this morning and you say, man, there's so much going on around me and I just need that that lift. I need that encouragement. I need that that pause and reflect moment this morning. I encourage you to, to find someone you trust, whether it's myself or someone else, that you can pray with, that we can help encourage and strengthen one another. Because my God is good. Because my God loves you. Because my God has called you His very own. Because my God will not leave you or forsake you. God is good, amen? God is good, amen? God is able, amen? God loves you, amen? God will not leave you, amen? He will not forsake you, amen? That's who your God is. We walk by faith, absolutely, Rowan. The Lord bless you and keep you. I'll take up the offering when I'm done. I almost forgot. Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. And may you walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. May you walk by what you know, not by what you see. Amen.